Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. This is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. Marjorie, if I sound a little scratchy, I've got some allergens that are impacting my body, but that's where we're at. Oh, you know, I don't even pay enough attention to my body to know what bothers me at any given time. I pay so much attention that I know what bothers me in the slightest amount, and I don't think that the obsession about that is really healthy. I, I I kind of think that ignorance is maybe a little bit more bliss with some of this stuff. Or perhaps let's live up to our own message on this podcast and say the middle way might be the better way on this. The uh, middle way. What I did a way. get criticized. My son is staying here for a couple of weeks. I did get criticized for my impulsive ways when he mm. looked at me and he said, mom, why is it that when you want to butter your toast that you massacre the butter? Is it difficult for you to just take a slice? And so I re- I did not realize that I was free-forming butter withdrawal from a bar of butter. And so this morning, wow. I actually tried to just slice it neatly. And it's fairly melted. We leave it on the counter under a mm-hmm. little, in a proper butter dish. So he's standing in front of me. And I said, because I'm in my heart, in my soul, I am three years old. Right. I, I looked at him and said, Campbell, watch. to go cut it nicely and then he looked away for a minute and I messed it up what's with that what's with your thing with the butter I don't know I can't I can't but that's my little so there's a middle way on health to paying more attention to your body not being sort of this (laughs) the next present I'm going to get you is going to be a French butter keeper French butter keepers are life-changing I mean they're the best things. Do you have a French butter keeper? You use a butter know what dish. You're talking about. Okay, Marjorie, please hold. Whatever we had planned is gonna have to wait for a minute because <laughs> I'm gonna tell you about the French butter keeper. A French butter keeper, also known as a butter bell, it's a two-piece vessel. Okay, so right. there's like a bottom piece, and you put a little bit of water in it, maybe like half an inch of water. Right. In the top piece, you pull it out and there's a, it's a, it's like a shape, like a bell shape kind of, and you put the softened butter in it and you kind of spread it so that it's nicely in there. When you then place the butter, butter side down into the water, it keeps it super spreadable, but not melted. It keeps a seal so it doesn't go bad. So the French butter keeper is the greatest thing in the world. And then you won't have to look at your mangled up butter that's sitting there under the thing that's probably (laughs) bothering Campbell. It'll be in this bell, which just by nature is a more organized situation because you can't really mangle it. You're like scooping it out. Interesting. That may be, he leaves in two weeks, but, but that might be a good future play anyway for me. It was just revelatory about my own personality, which I know myself pretty well. 
as I approach 60, I know myself pretty well. And there are things I care about and things that I don't. And how apparently I take a slice of butter. He's very intentional, this one. Very intentional. But I also know that you like beautiful things and you do like a a presentation in a lovely way. And so So this might be something nice for you. I I think, and I also like the idea of it keeping it spreadable as opposed to melty. That appeals to me. That's a good thing. Right, because it can get melty when it's in that little butter dish on the counter. I hear you. Yeah. Um, I think we should do a podcast episode on like the things in my kitchen that are just bringing me immense joy. Because I I have quite a few of them. I've really been transforming. Like I just want everything that I own, particularly when I'm in the kitchen. I want to really love every single tool that I have because I cook so much and I just figure if I'm going to have it perform a function, it might as well be something that it, it performs it really well. And I love it very much. And I want to keep it for the rest of my life. This is one of the things that when Martha Stewart kind of came onto the scene, I think it was in the eighties. I could be wrong about that, but I think that's generally when her magazine started and I was a huge follower of her in the day and what it, because she is the antithesis of me in her intention and her homekeeping and like i like a clean house that i have i'm very particular about that i like a, like i sweep now that i have a cat i sweep every day yeah. i i like a clean house but the other particulars of things i'm i'm not so much and martha stewart that was the one thing that i always admired about her is exactly what you said are the tools that she had for the things that she loved to do were the best tools possible yeah. because if she was going to do it, she was going to do it right. And that's, that's, I think that's a really important thing. I would love to do an episode on that. I think that's, I think that's really, um, if you're a cook, if you, if you are going to do that, I believe the things you should use should be pretty. I you agree. probably have a line at functional as well. So also non-toxic. That's yeah. the whole thing too. Yeah. You know, it's, so I think we've good. done a whole podcast just now. I think How we're exciting. Done. We're done. Thanks for listening, everyone. We're done. We actually do have a topic planned for today. We yes. we went off track a little bit there, but that's par for the course on this yes. podcast. I'm going to pose a question for you, and then we're going to discuss a New York Times opinion piece that came out that that got my attention on Instagram, and I sent this to you, and I was like, okay, we have to talk about this because I find this so interesting. We're talking about marriage, and I want to know from you, because you got married really young. Like, did you always think as a kid that you wanted to get married? I've been discussing this with my eight-year-old lately, and she has some interesting perspectives too. I had no interest in being married, none whatsoever. Yeah. Because my parents' marriage model was not, was was um, chaotic and tumultuous. Mm-hmm. Exciting in some ways because of that, but I was much more formed by the independence that my mother showed even within her own marriage, to think that I wanted one. So I really had zero. I never played, I really never played with dolls. I tried once. It seemed pointless. <laughs> so I just, I wasn't even maternal at all. And so I just never had, and and so that's, to me, that's always how I believe in the divine is that idea that we can feel so strongly about who we are and what we will be. And then however you believe about a bigger force will put something in the way of who you think you are that defines you differently. And that's, and I met Ian. I met Ian at 19. We were friends for a year. I was dating somebody else while we became friends. 
And then I broke up with that other person. And then Ian and I were engaged within, I think, you know, stories change over years, but I think we were engaged within about six weeks. Oh, in college. In college. I was a, I was actually a junior in college when I got engaged. Did um, other people get engaged? No. I mean, no, people were getting pinned. Yeah. You know? I mean, they were not getting... didn't even do that when I was in college. Like, no, they were, they that were... wasn't even a thing. I mean, no one was remotely thinking no. like, I want to marry this person that I'm with in college. It, I, I don't remember no. anyone thinking that. I mean, my my freshman year roommate dated the same person all the way through college. So she was still dating him as a junior. Mm-hmm. And we sort of figured they'll get married. But they were not, like, they weren't setting up house. She was still living with sorority sisters. I mean, it wasn't, there was no, and then for me, and this, you know, this probably goes along with the story about the butter. When I got married, I got married my scene the fall of my senior year of college. Whoa. Yeah. So basically we got engaged. I left for Spain. So we got engaged in November. I left for Spain in January. I came back from Spain in May. And then I'm going to tell a story that I may or may not have ever told. My parents were not thrilled about the fact that I got engaged. So I basically got engaged and then left the country. My parents are both deceased now, so I could tell the whole story. Mm. They, My mother, when I came back from Spain, I flew into New York. My mother met me there because I told her I was going to live with Ian for the summer. My, She was not happy about that. No, my no. mother met me at the airport to take me home. Oh, You know my personality, Elizabeth. I, I know how you treated the butter. I can imagine how you treated this situation. And I looked at my mom. And said, Mom, I am an adult. I am grateful to see you because I have not seen you in five months, but I am going home. And Ian was living in New Jersey at the time. I'm going home with Ian. I'm Ooh. not going back to Chicago with you. So she left. And what she didn't know is that while I was in Spain, we had plotted that we were going to elope. And so we drove from you know, we went to his apartment and then from there we went and we got married in front of a justice of the peace, just the two of us. Um, so it was a legal ceremony. And then we went off and we had our honeymoon in one of the sort of cliche, but we thought it was hysterical Poconos resorts. Oh, that's great. We were in a cabin with a heart-shaped tub. It was fantastic and so Man, funny. That's hilarious. And then in September, actually on September 7th, we had a religious wedding, which we had told my parents that we had already taken care of the legal. They just didn't know that it had been done three months before. Oh, my gosh. So so we had the religious ceremony, too. And I have told the boys, please go off and marry whoever you want to marry alone. Go do it together, and we will separate out the other part. There was something so lovely about that commitment as we were standing from a judge in front of a judge and a witness we did not know and just committing to one another of what our life was going to be. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. So, and I believe that marriage is two things. I do believe that marriage is a commitment to one another, but I also believe that it's a social commitment and a religious Mm -hmm. commitment. So both of those things serve. Being married is a commitment to society that you are going to be a stable force within your community 
Not right. that not the people who aren't married aren't stable. That sounds archaic. What I mean is when you're making that vow socially, that's what I believe it means is that together we will be more powerful for our community. That's Yeah, what I, I think you're also sacrifice. calling on that community to support this relationship. 100%. That's 100%. the other thing. Yeah. There's a part in the ceremony that actually says that. Will you support these two people mm-hmm. in their commitment to one another? And so separating them out, I've never had any guilt about that. I've never felt like I've duped anybody because I feel like the social aspect of it is, I don't think it's equally as important as the personal commitment, but I think it is a very important part of being married is the social. And then for me, the religious aspect of it, I think marriage can be divine. I think that is important though. Like I think that social part is so big because we talk a lot about this with Jay and I have certain people that we'll go like to dinner with that we always feel like better about our marriage after we've spent time with them. And we have a few friends, particularly some that are like our friends, John and Julie, give them a little shout out, John and Julie. They're so wonderful. We love to go to dinner with them. And we find that like, they're also a little bit ahead of us. You know, they're a little bit older than us and their kids are older than ours. And so they can kind of offer like a perspective for us that is not in the way of like, oh, you know, you kids don't get it. It's more like they're just right ahead of us. And so they just have, they have a little bit more of a perspective and then they just make us, um, you know, we just have really intentional conversations with them. They're just like one of those couples that you can sit, that we can sit down with and just immediately we're, I, we're, everybody's equally interested in what the other people have to say. And right. we can have really intentional conversations about what's working and what doesn't and the hard things and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, and you know, you have to think about that, like in the hard times, you have to lean on those social connections because for sure, you know, we joke that sometimes, sometimes what keeps people together is just realizing that it would be more of a pain to be apart. Right. <laughs> like it's just right. I, I, I always loved the, uh, the quote from Gwyneth Paltrow when she was talking about her parents and it was either her mother or her father said that the reason they were able to stay married for as long as they did, this is Gwyneth Paltrow's parents was because neither one of them wanted to get divorced at the same time. Ah, uh, Yes. And I I always loved that quote because I think there's a lot of truth to that. But to the initial question, did I ever think I was going to get married? I absolutely did not. Did not think about it, did not dream about it, did not fantasize about it. And now today is the 39th anniversary of our wedding, our church wedding. Oh, 39 years. Yeah. Okay. So this is so interesting because I never thought I wanted to get married either. And I didn't have a chaotic home you know, my parents who are living. So I will be more thoughtful about what I, I you have a little bit more freedom in saying what you want yes. to say. But I, th- but I do think they got married young. I don't think they'd like worked on as many things on themselves when they'd gotten married. I didn't see like a lot of conflict resolution. I just sort of saw like, we just stopped talking about it and we just move on. And to right. me, it didn't feel that useful. Like I thought this looks like more trouble then it's worth. And I don't feel that now, you know, because now I have a different perspective on my parents. And frankly, their marriage has changed a lot too, because I was also the oldest of three. And so I was most aware of their most right. stressful years because I was the oldest. So I saw the most difficult times, which was they were broke as a joke. And my dad was right. not happy in his career. And they, and that was very difficult. And, um, but, but what you saw though, I think, and this is, a sign of, I think of a good marriage is a marriage that changes and grows. For sure. 
And and so if that's your parents are still living and they're still together and and we hope that they're happy and we don't have to dive into their marriage, but they are. Yeah. I think it's I think what's when you look at sort of the marriage that you grow your parents' marriages. Like I always look at it and I think like the one thing my parents did really well is my parents had a lot of fun. Yeah, that's like, good. They just had a lot of fun. Sometimes they just had a lot of fun. <laughs> so I think that for me, when I agreed to be married, I mean, I was I was leaning my head out the window, drying my hair after a haircut when Ian asked me to marry him. This wasn't like this. And it was like, sure, that sounds fun. I mean, that is really the basis of the yes, is he made me laugh. I knew he was a good person, didn't really know how good, but seemed fun. Honestly, it just seemed fun. He was in a non-traditional career, so that had its own kind of rebellion to it. You know, he wasn't. Wow. Oh, yeah. So it just seemed fun. I'm the first person to say that I am one of the luckiest people in the world. I barely knew him when we got married. Yeah. Honestly, you get engaged after four weeks, even if you've been friends for a year. And when you're that age, I mean, that's very young to even have an idea of who you are. I never thought being married sounded fun at all. I didn't think anything about being married sounded fun. And frankly, I probably need to have a more fun vision of it even now because everybody needs to have a more fun vision of it. I think it's hard a lot of times. And I, Mm -hmm. and The one thing that I've struggled with, and this is what we'll get to when we talk about this article in the New York Times that kind of spurred this whole conversation, is about marriage versus your career. I thought all the time about my career. I thought about my career from the time I was 13 on, and I thought about a career in television from the time I was 13 on. So that is like all I thought about. And all I thought was that marriage would definitely get in the way of my career. Right. There was nothing about being married. Even I got engaged the first time when I was 20, I don't know, 26, 27. And I was like, this is a terrible idea because this is really <laughs> going to get away in the way of right. my career. And I right. couldn't even fathom the idea of making a career choice based on a relationship versus making the choice. And I'm talking about like the market that I moved to or the job that I took. And if you're going to marry someone and you're going to work in TV, someone is going to have to make a sacrifice. Someone's going to have to say, well, we're going to go for your job and then I'll take the secondary job. And I couldn't even, even when I was engaged and like having conversations about a wedding, I couldn't even wrap my head around what that would look like. Like if, because the compromise of it. Oh my God. And, and me not even remotely being willing to compromise, like right. not even right. an iota of thought of compromising from me. <laughs> like, that's not good. Well, I mean, I think what's interesting about that. So in our life, I mean, I had always, from the time that I was eight or nine is I had always intended to be a lawyer. That is what I wanted to do. Yeah. That is why I went to Washington when I was 17 I had every intention of becoming a lawyer and then getting into politics. I had thought about maybe I'd do it as a speechwriter or maybe, I mean, that's really what my vision for myself was. And then um, I got down to to school and then I, I mean, my degree's in writing. But when I met Ian, I was already sort of leaning away from law school. Mm-hmm. I was already sort of leaning. And then, you know, he was in media. I grew up around media that and journalism and one of my favorite you know people 
growing up was a journalist. Um, he had worked for CBS for years. And so that was an easy thing to think, okay, I'll do media. But it's funny, even after I got my first job producing television news in Iowa, I was still applying to law schools. Yeah. So I had gone, I had gotten accepted to the University of Iowa Law School. We then jumped to Nashville. I had applied to Vanderbilt and then I was pregnant. And it's so it was funny that clearly I was okay with letting that dream go because I was letting other things get in the way. So I don't think I had as clear a vision in terms of like, this is what, like, I think the the law school was always like, that's what I always thought I would be. Yeah. And so I kept going, not that in my new incarnation and the new person that I was, that that's what I was actually going to be. Right. And so um, it was easier for me to let that go. And then it was quite obvious that we were doing the market jumping. So it was just easier if both of us were in media. That idea of, of your profession being the central part of who you are and whether or not you're willing to give up that central part of yourself to be married. I mean, that's the question you're talking about. Well, and it turns out, according to New York Times opinion writer David Brooks, I have had it all backwards the whole time. <laughs> um, because the I think title that's of the his, lead, Elizabeth. Yeah, that's it. The title of his opinion piece is To Be Happy, Marriage Matters More Than Career. And this is what I thought was so interesting. That because that really like that kind of caught my attention. And you know, I don't love this whole like happiness thing. I think happiness is fleeting and I think it's like a feeling and I think we should look for something more with more depth when it comes to, I think chasing happiness is futile at best, but here's what he had to say. There are fewer people in America today who believe that marriage is more important than career. We are at a time in society when people believe that their happiness is much more available if they focus on their career than a marriage. And so it's very interesting. So this is, there's an analysis of recent survey, survey data that he quotes by a University of Virginia professor. And here's what the survey data showed. 75% of adults ages 18 to 40 said that making a good living was crucial to fulfillment in life. Okay. Oh. So 75% of adults making a good living crucial to your fulfillment. How many percent do you think thought that marriage was crucial to fulfillment? 32%. So yeah. 75% think making a living is crucial to your life's fulfillment. Only 32% believe that marriage is crucial to fulfillment. And there was a Pew Research Center survey that showed that 88% of parents said it was extremely or very important for their kids to be financially independent. This was like, this is how I grew up. It was very important to my parents that we were financially independent because they had such a struggle with finances. And so it was right. very much passed on to me that in order to be free, you have to make money. Yep. So it was very much like figure out what you love and then figure out how to make money at it. Right. So 88% of parents said it was extremely or very important for their kids to be financially independent, while only 21% of parents said it was extremely or very important for their kids to marry. Isn't this fascinating? It's now, if you actually, it kind of is, because if you look at like the breakdown of the American family, I mean, th this is what you have, because it is certainly this survey data is showing that being married is simply not nearly the priority that a career is. And I totally believe this from even being raised as a kid in the 80s and the 90s, that that idea of 
pressure to be married was not even existent in my life, but a pressure to have a career and to be successful and to make something of yourself and to, um, was absolutely, absolutely present. And I'm not, I'm not even saying like directly from my parents, my parents wanted me to have freedom. And so they believed that the way to that was to be able, was to have financial freedom. Then you could have freedom to do whatever you wanted. Right. For me, the pressure was a hundred percent career. I mean, hence my mom coming to meet my plane when I got off the plane from Spain is this was not who you were supposed to be. You were going to be the lawyer. Like that's who you were that in your, in, in the four girls we had, my oldest sister was an accountant. She's now an attorney. My other sister was a corporate person. My other sister's a doctor. You're the lawyer. You're not playing your role here. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. And there wasn't talk. There was never, in a house of four girls, there was never talk of finding a man. Isn't that interesting? Ever. It was, and this is one thing I do love about my father. If we expressed an interest in anything, yeah, it was fed. Mm-hmm. It was fed in terms of my sister liked animals. Whatever we liked, everything was sort of fed. But that was toward a passion. That was toward a career. That was not about finding a man. But, and I think my rebellion, and I think you don't get married the way I got married and not think that there's an element of rebellion in that. I mean, I For love sure. my husband, yeah. but I mean, if I have to be honest, of course, there's there's something in there that that I'm rebelling against. Right. And when I look at... What's coincidental in the time that all of the, that my, my romance was blossoming with my husband. And then I decided to get married in that time, in, in that five-year span, my father's business failed and my mother got fired from a very successful career, long Mm -hmm. career that defined her, that defined her more than motherhood. Yeah. And so you look at that. And and so as a 20 something, I looked at that and I'm like, well, that's kind of pointless. And so really, I mean, I've talked about this before, what became, I've had a wonderful career, but it was never the driving force of my life ever. It was, it was sort of like, you know, the expression lanyap, lanyap is when like a, a shopkeeper will give you a little something extra. So you enjoy the experience. Oh yeah. Um, so to me, my career was always sort of like lanyap to my life. It was like that little extra something that I got, which helped me grow. I'm a creative person. It allowed me to be creative. Mm -hmm. But the core, the central part of my life has always been my family. Like we, we call it Punnett Corp. You know, it's, it's the family. Yeah. So that's interesting. Cause I think the family has been like the icing on the cake mm -hmm. for me. It, yeah, we're it's, complete opposite. It's just different. And it's, I mean, and I don't know that, I don't think any way is better or worse. Although, I don't know. I always kind of think maybe my way is not the right way. But I, and I think because. But your way can I'll, change. Well, and I also had kids later than you. So yeah. like, I didn't get married until 32 and have kids at 33. And so then it was like, I was already really well established in my career by that point. Because I'd been working at it since I was 21. And so it was like oh, this is then these are these kind of extra fun things that get to happen. And but you also don't know, you don't know what's in front of you. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you are so young in the game. And this, I rarely try and make myself sound like the oldest person in the room. (laughs) But your kids are babies. I know. Like the, 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 
yeah, I want them to stay there. <laughs> they won't. Mine, September's a big month for us. So in this week, I have one that's going to turn 30 and another that's going to turn 32. And so that's when you start to look at, so you can look back. If I died tomorrow, my life is complete. Yeah. And so there's like, and you, it would be, I, I, I would love to have this conversation with you when your kids are in their thirties. Mm-hmm. And if you would say the same thing that I think it'll flip for you. That your I family think, will become the found will become the, the not core, that your family yeah. is in center. I don't want to phrase yeah, it. Yeah, because it is. It certainly it is. is. I mean, it was like the great prioritizer for me. But yeah. I felt like I I I felt like I was able to go into having children and if and you know, not everybody can do this. So it's it, and it's you know, it gets more complicated if you have kids. There's positives and negatives to having them younger versus Always. older, all the things. Always. Um, but I definitely didn't feel like I, ha- I felt like I didn't have to make any compromises with my career because I had children later because I was That's able, huge, it's huge. And it's something yeah. I'm eternally yeah. grateful for because yeah. I was able to really hustle and really say right. yes to everything for such a long time. And then, um, and then having children became the prioritizer that I needed. And so I didn't feel like I had to step out or I felt like I had earned the ability to, to set up my own deal a little bit more, which right. just happens with experience. You know, it's right. like really uh, most careers, as you work your way up, you're able to, you're, you become more valuable and you're able to go, okay, this is the terms in which That's I want hope. to work. That's, That's the, hope. the hope. That's the hope. I mean, I don't it, think it works out. No, but if you're hopefully, if you're a teacher and you can get better tenure things, or you can get better, if you're a more experienced nurse, you can get better shifts or you can get, you know, like all those things. I mean, it certainly is the hope. I thought so much about my career. I did not think at all about a marriage. And that is absolutely reflective in this New York Times opinion piece. He goes on and he says, it's not that I meet many people who are against marriage, Today is in the past, a vast majority of Americans would like to tie the knot someday. It's just that it's not exactly top of mind, that fewer people believe that marriage is vitally important. In 2006, 50% of young adults said it was very important for a couple to marry if they intended to spend the rest of their lives together. But by 2020, only 29% of young adults said that it was important for people to marry if yeah, they and wanted I think- to be together. I think I'd even slice this a little bit thinner to the statistics that he's using, because I don't know now. I believe in partnership. Mm -hmm. I don't regret being married, but I understand this generation that is building partnerships without a marriage. Yeah. I I understand that. So I don't look at it like, I don't go, oh my God, all these, everybody should go out and get married. I don't. Yeah. I don't necessarily think that, but I, this idea, again, even if we just take the idea of the legality of marriage out of it, and that's statistically what I would find even interesting is, is what it is, what he actually saying is that this generation is less interested in building partnerships and families. And I think that, that to me would be sad because I think at the end of the day, when you're 60, 70, 80, if you haven't nurtured some close relationships, I think that that's a very lonely path. And, and, 
And that, that is disturbing to me. It's more than that. It's the joy that I've gotten from having, and believe me, I don't think everybody should have children either. They're hard. Yeah, I know. Um, they're hard. But I, I am glad to say on the other end of it, I just so enjoy my children. And I just can't imagine my world without them. Yeah. You know, it goes without saying, I'm still with my husband. I so enjoy his company. I so enjoy the ease with which we know one another. Mm-hmm. And having somebody, when I was living in Arizona and he was living here and I would get really sick, the people at work were very nice about it. Or even during COVID, I mean, people were very nice about it, but nobody really cared. You know what I mean? They don't. You think they do, but they really don't. And they're nice people, but they don't. And there's something about knowing that there's one person in the world that really cares that you don't feel well. Yeah. And I just wonder, like, how is it? Like, how is it to be alone in the world in that way where there isn't one, but even your parents don't care the way that a good partner would or a good spouse would care about those things. And so for that, that idea of putting your job before finding a way to develop and nurture a deep, deep relationship with that, I just, that makes me kind of sad. The marriage rate is close to the lowest level in American history is what this article says. In 1980, only 6% of 40-year-olds had never been married. As of 2021, 25% of 40-year-olds have never been married. Wow. I mean, that's a pretty significant jump in a generation. You know, that's, that is the generation. Um, this is interesting. So David Brooks goes on in this New York Times opinion piece to offer some advice. And I want to see what you think about this. Okay. He says, my strong advice is to obsess less about your career and to think a lot more about marriage. Please respect the truism that if you have a great career and a crappy marriage, you will be unhappy. But if you have a great marriage and a crappy career, you will be happy. That's what he says. I now, don't know that I can. I don't know that I can. Well, I don't that. know. I do. So here's here's where I agree a little bit because I think, and we've talked about this on the podcast a lot, you know, the focus of the podcast here is to bring your best self home, to focus on home above all else. Right. And I, and, and how I agree with this is because if I've had a really bad day at work, it's a lot easier to recover from that when I come home versus recovering from a really bad day at home when you're at work. Okay. So imagine that, like you get into a fight with your boss or you have a, just a terrible customer, or you have somebody who's the worst at work and you come home and you're with your family and you have, you know, a spouse who you love and you're able to like vent about it and let it go. And then spend time with your kids or go for a walk or all that stuff. If you have a bad fight with your spouse and then you have to go to work, it sucks so bad. It's terrible. I mean, it's the worst. You and I would do it and have to go on the radio. I mean, or you'd have to go on the radio with your husband. Oh, Oh, just talk to our producer about those mornings. Nothing worse than having a fight till like one o'clock in the morning. And then you have to do a morning show starting at 530. And I would just, I would just be like, uh, to our producer, uh, it's going to be a bumpy road this morning. Just hang in there. It's going to be okay. We'll get through it. But I, that's, that's where I kind of, that's where I get it. When he says, if you have a great career and a crappy marriage, you will be unhappy. But if you have a great marriage and a crappy career, you will be happy. Can you be happy? Yes. If you have a great career and a happy marriage. I mean, let's go for that. Let's shoot for the moon here. But you know, but when, that's you break where it we're down, at. when you break it down the way that you say it, I agree with that a hundred percent. 
it's hard for me to adjust to the idea that a happy marriage would make up for a crappy career because what I do professionally matters so much to me. Yeah. So it's hard for me to relinquish that. But when you put, I'll agree with you. I don't know that I agree with him. Okay. It's there. Then when you, when you talk about being happy, okay. Being happy in general, he quotes some really interesting research as well. I didn't know I was such a statistics maven, but alas, (laughs) here we are. It's very exciting. Last month, he says, that would be July because this article was published in August. The right. University of Chicago economist Sam Peltzman published a study in which he found that marriage was the most important differentiator between happy and unhappy people. Okay, married you gotta say people, that again. Say, start again. Okay, well, I'll just give you the numbers. Right. Married people are 30 points happier than the unmarried. Income contributes to happiness as well, but not nearly as much. Okay. Okay. Marriage is the most important differentiator between happy and unhappy people. Mm. Um, There is an author who has a book coming out called Get Married, and he says marital quality is far and away the top predictor I've run across of life satisfaction in America. Specifically, the odds that men and women say that they are very happy with their lives are a staggering 545% higher for those who are very happily married compared with peers who are not married or who are less than very happy in their marriages. Right. right. And see, this that's an important statistic because it talks about a happy marriage. And yeah. And and that's that's a whole nother deal. I mean, there, you can be married and you can be super lonely in that marriage and you can be really unhappy or it can be abusive or it can be all, any number of horrific things. So none of that is surprising to me that if you're in a happy marriage that you're happier, of course. I mean, that that sort of. I know, but I think his point is here that is it, that we're spending so much time teaching our children to think about their careers follow your passion, find your passion, find where you can contribute to the world, find where you can make a living that offers you the life that you want to be able to live. I mean, these are all things that I was told, all things that I think are important, all things that even like when I think about how I parent my children, like I talk to them about what they, what they could do or what they could accomplish or how they could be creative or all these different things or about finding their passion. His argument here is that we should be spending more time talking about how to have a great marriage and how to pick a right partner than we should be obsessing over what career we choose Okay, based on the numbers and, and how you can find happiness in your life. I 100% agree with that with a little caveat. Okay. In that I think what we should be teaching our children is not necessarily how to be in a great marriage or how to find a partner but that we we should be working with our children on how to be really good human beings. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, just how to how to hear other people, how to be good listeners, how to be good at conflict resolution, how to because if you raise someone like that, mm-hmm. they will find a partner. Yeah. And they will find a happy whole partner. Because people who tend to I th- I think people who are fully formed as much yeah. as any of us can be, look for healthy people. People who are not fully formed tend to f- end up in dysfunctional relationships. And so I think instead of talking, should we talk more about marriage? No, I think if you're married, model a good marriage. Mm-hmm. Model a good, fun, communicative, 
happy marriage and your children will want one. I think, and I think it's more important. So I don't talk to them about, oh, you should be, and not that that's how we would do it. Oh, you should be married. But I really do believe that teaching them how to be just solid, good, kind, reasonably competitive, reasonably. I mean, there are other things. You don't want them to be pushovers. Mm -hmm. They'll go out in the world and they'll find good people. There's a good Mm -hmm. person. Your husband just. I know. He just walked past. I don't know. Wave to you. He's going to get his windbreaker because it's cold outside. Is that what you're doing, honey? (laughs) You want to come and wave to Marjorie? (laughs) He's walking and looking for things. Feel him staring at me like, can I walk past? And I just yes, think, you can walk as past. long as you're fully clothed, you can walk past. There he is. <laughs> I love a good cameo. We're talking about marriage, Jay. Do you want to say anything to the people about our marriage? What do you, what did I? It has to be positive. Yeah. This is what I ask Jay all the time. This is what I say to him. Tell me what you like being, tell me what you like most about being married to me. I literally make him tell me this like every week. What's the answer? Don't say my butt or something. (laughs) He said, I can't live without you. I'm not going to lie. I know that is true. If I died, this whole place would fall apart. I'm just, it would be terrible. I don't know how he would make it. It's totally true. Okay. There you go. There you go. I don't know. So that's, that's my only caveat to that last one. Yeah. Is that, that it really, it just, it's about raising good people. But I do think to the point about fun, I do think that how we model our marriages affect how our children think about being married and whether or not they want to be married. I actually asked my son, um, who probably won't get married. And I said, did, did your dad do this? My marriage somehow (laughs) spoil your marriage. And he's like, oh gosh, no, 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 no. No, so that was good. That was I just good. think um, I like the idea, though, of having conversations that are about if you're if you're having conversations with your kids about intentionally choosing a path in life for their career, that equal time should be given to having conversations about choosing a person that you want to spend that life with. OK. And and I and I'm just as a parent of young children, you know, as I sort of like think about what do we talk about and what are the conversations that we have? And we talk about all sorts of stuff. I do like that. That's something that I like the idea of integrating into our house a little bit more of the conversations of like, why did dad and I choose each other? We did. We did have a conversation the other day where I don't even know how it came up, but somehow we were talking about how both Jay and I were engaged to other people before we got married to each other. And Bernie was like, what wait what you were married and we're like no we weren't married we just said we were gonna marry someone else but then we didn't actually do it and it was mind-blowing to an eight-year-old but I know people who like grew up and never knew that their parents were maybe some of their parents had a previous marriage right and they never knew until later or they were engaged and they never knew it and I'm not saying I want to normalize like breaking off engagements that being said though I do want my children to understand that like a relationship that you don't continue and that you go, Oh wait, I don't really want to be married to this person. I'm going to take a different path that it takes strength and courage to say that and to make that move. And it kind of felt good to just like talk to her about that and And just make it like, it's not a big, you know, I mean, it was a big deal. So I'm not saying it's not a big deal. I'm just saying that it's not like it's not a life-defining failure, which is what right. it can sort of feel like in the moment. Right. M- yes. maybe I have I had friends that, that were questioning their marriages before they 
actually got married. Yes. And, and, and then you just get on that. You're sort of on that hamster wheel I know. of like the wedding plans and everything else. And they go through with it. And, that, and it's hard enough, even if you don't question it, even yeah. if you yes. know deep in your soul on that day, yeah. which, um, you know, speaking of anniversaries, Jay and I are going to celebrate our 10 year wedding anniversary coming up on September 21st. And wait a second. I know we've you were at that wedding. 10 years, 10 years. We've been together for 13, but we've been married for 10 years. Oh my gosh. For some reason, I feel like it's so much longer than that. That's You've funny, done a lot in 10 years. I was thinking, I'm so proud that we've made it 10 years. That's a, that, but it you is, know, I get it. It is an accomplishment. Um, but we, you know, I, I knew like in every bone of my body that marrying him was the right move. And right. still there are days when I'm like, mother, this is hard. <laughs> I mean, that's, I don't know what else to tell you. And there could be periods of, when we talk about hard, I mean, when I look back at 39 years too, and you could do the same with 13 years, is hard sometimes can be months. You know, hard sometimes. And I think that's what people don't talk about either, is you say, oh, it can be hard. And I think sometimes people think, oh, that just means, well, you had a fight or you had a whatever. No, I mean, if you're both growing, it's really hard to grow together. Yes, it's really, really hard to do. And when it's happening in spurts, as growth does, those spurts are hard because it's such a big transition. And I think, you know, one of the things I love most about my husband is that although difficult for him and difficult for me, we have allowed ourselves both an enormous amount of space to become different people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was think I was technically 21 when I got married. Probably 20 the first time, 21 the second time, because there was a birthday in between. But I think that were that not the case, I don't know that we could have stayed together. I, I couldn't have stayed static. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing. But that when you talk about hard, hard can be longer than a fight. Yeah. Oh, it totally can be. I know. I think the trick with that, though, is like you just have to take an interest in the other person's growth and the oh, things that the other person is interested in. Because yeah. even like, you know, there's all these things that I'm into that Jay's not really into. Like Jay wouldn't care about what type of magnesium he's taking if I wasn't like researching it, you know. But like because I'm interested, he's interested. And I can see this based on our Instagram messages back and forth because yes. based on the things that we send each other, you know, and yeah. like, I don't care about every episode of Seinfeld, but I'm interested because he's interested. And so I send him Seinfeld clips, you know, Aww. it's like those things that's important to be, even if you're not growing in the same way to be interested in the other right. person's growth and curious right. about where it's going to take them and then where it might take you that you didn't even ever think about. Okay, there Elizabeth, you go. We had, we had a little outline that you sent me. Did we did we go through everything in the outline? Yeah, we're at the end. We're at the bottom. Here's bottom. what I love Here, about you. Yeah. Here's what I love about you. So when we started, before we started recording this podcast, I said, okay, Elizabeth, half hour? You're like, yeah, that's yeah. good. That'd be good. It's been yeah. an hour. Shit. That's how, that how, it's how it always happens with us. I got to go. I got to go. I got to go do another show. Well, I'm glad that Jay Reimers made a cameo in this Perfect. In this episode, he was hovering over me because he was thinking if he could walk past to go get his freaking windbreaker. I'm like, just go. I love that. Look, why are you staring at me? Just walk across. Maybe because he's in love with you. Yeah. Maybe he wanted to get a little look at my butt. Whatever. (laughs) See, 
fun. That's what we're talking about. Fun. <laughs> it is fun. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best to the Nest. We are the podcast that brings you home.